Hey everyone, welcome to another Wildlife for You podcast where we talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense. I'm Stephanie Payne and I'm here with my very lovable but somewhat technologically challenged co-host Daryl Ratajak. Um, on that technologically challenged note and before we officially kick off today's episode, we needed to send out an apology. Daryl, I don't know about you, but I feel like we're doing this way too much lately. We're getting good at them, though. Yeah, we definitely are. So everyone hopefully knows that we we do this podcast because of a passion, not because we're paid in any way to do it um, or because we're, we're podcast you know, professionals or anything. That means that we use a free platform to create these and we are reliant on our own skills um, for any editing that needs to be done. What's somewhere? This weed, just curious. What's this weed stuff? <laughs> well, okay, but I, just give me a minute. So okay. s- somewhere in the combination of those two things, the the pre the free platform and the the self done edits, the last couple of podcasts have been wonky when Daryl first published them. It's like after he does the edits, the platform puts them into a blender and then that's kind of what goes out. Yeah, you described it perfectly. And truth be told, folks, I'm actually getting kind of tired of waking up in the morning after we do a podcast and I will have like a ton of nasty grams from Steph that's telling me how bad the published version is. So so everyone knows we've had to re-record literally whole episodes before. And, and I've, I've had to try to republish them and it's just been... Well, exactly like Steph said, it's been wonky. So I have promised her that I would stop trying to edit so much because she seems to think my absolutely amazing editing skills are the underlying (coughs) root cause. And well, actually, it's because I own the account. And although I have tried many, many times to say, hey, fine, you do the editing. I can't do it because it's my account. So Here's hoping that me mostly skipping the audio editing will help fix our audio problems. Well, for sure. Just just for the record, if if we do, I always listen to it as, usually as soon as I wake up the next morning. And like Daryl said, if it's got wonkiness going on, I text him so that he wakes up to a, a nasty thread from me. Um, nice dialogue, I promise you that. And he immediately fixes it. So if you if you get one that's wonky, then um, you know just re-listen to it later in the day. So I, we say all of that to say, if you make it a habit of listening right after um, on your favorite podcast platform when they inform you of a brand new episode, if you make that a habit of listening the second that it tells you that there's something new out, first off, we think you're super cool, but the yeah. the last few may have seemed very wonky to you. Um, and I, again, I promise we do strive for higher quality and Daryl does try to fix these so that again, they are fixed later. And it all is, again, we do this not because we're professionals at it, but because we have a passion for it. Um, and it may, it may just be that if you listen again later, then it's going to, um, it's going to sound normal. If you listen and it's wonky, it's going to sound like we're talking out of order. Um, so again, if it does that, just give it a day and then go back. And like Daryl said, we are hoping we figured out the root cause. We are slowly, slowly getting through all of our root causes and fixing little things and something new like crops up, but we will do our best um, to stop that from continuing so that you won't have to be as frustrated as we have been. 
and I do not think you have to tell anyone that we're not professionals because I think they found that out pretty quickly. So, <laughs> all right, folks, we are so sorry about the last two slip-ups, but I think we've gotten all of that stuff out of the way. And so if you don't mind me asking, Steph, what are we going to be talking about this week? So the last episode, we went for the largest servant or member of the deer family in North America, truly a a super tall and lanky dude. Um, and we talked about the moose. And I thought this week we'd take the opposite route and go for a species that is neither tall nor lanky. I didn't know Stephanie was a species. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Your, your hint there it totally didn't help at all. So what, what are we talking about this week? Probably going to be another Stephanie reference in here, <laughs> but we are talking about snakes. Ah, that's that's kind of cool. I love snakes, but I bet you a ton of our listeners cringed, and they're probably thinking of turning off the 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 radio or whatever platform they're listening on. So how do we how do we keep them from shutting things off right now? Um, well, you know that that's exactly what why I thought we should talk about snakes. I mean, really, that is exactly why I wanted to talk about them. Um, you know, they're they're a critical element on any landscape. And there's a lot of things that people generally don't understand about snakes. That is absolutely true. And everyone should know that snakes are actually extremely important because they really do help keep populations of rodents in check, which is kind of cool when you think about it because rodents do carry lots of diseases. They can also, besides carrying diseases, they can also do a lot of damage to like say crops, which people like to eat and people think are pretty important to their survival. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, eating is a good, good way to stay living. Oh. <laughs> um, but it's, it's also cool because snakes are not only predators um, and very important to the, the landscape because of that, but they're also very heavily preyed on. Lots of things eat snakes, um, and pretty often um, even or like they, they end up on a menu, like just the other day to give you an example, I was sitting on the backyard patio and I saw one of my red shouldered hawks flying through with this snake dangling from his talons. And that's actually a pretty routine occurrence here. That's actually really, really cool. But let's face it here, Steph, snakes absolutely freak out a ton of people. So I'm not sure if it's because they're like really, really stealthy since they slither or because they have a forked tongue or maybe because they never blink. You know what? Um, snakes don't have eyelids. So that blinking thing, it's truly out of the question, dear listeners. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves with the entire Harry Potter series. Like the very beginning of the Harry Potter series, the snake winks. And it's a major flaw that always sends me on this crazy tangent. And that, my friend, is because you are an absolute nerd. <laughs> ah. what, what's, what's really cool about snakes, though, is, at least I think so, it's that they slither. But, but here's the thing. Their lack of legs is absolutely no impediment whatsoever to their movement. So it's absolutely amazing to see all the different activities snakes are capable, even though they do not have any limbs whatsoever. Yep, correct. I mean, the, they're great swimmers, as long as no large fish or birds spot them while they're swimming. Um, they they try, climb trees really easily. They can 
like scale a nearly vertical rock ledge and they can burrow into the ground. They can move at pretty amazing speeds over pretty much any type of substrate, you know, and they can, they can even climb in, in small open spaces. Uh, small open spaces. What, what do you mean by that last one? Uh, well, you know, picture, if you will, a, a tube, say some, some PVC pipe, which is that white plumbing pipe. Um, that's just about wide enough for like me to stick my hand and my forearm into like, you know, could wear it as a clunky bracelet, for example, um, picture a long piece of that. Anyhow, a snake, if it was standing, um, upright, a snake can literally use different parts of its body to wedge against the sides. And because of the way that their, their scales work and the mechanics behind how a snake actually moves, it can literally just travel up through that pipe as long as its body's large enough to give it a solid touch point on both sides. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it's kind of like Amer America Ninja Warrior. Say what? <laughs> you don't watch a lot of TV, do you? <laughs> mm -mm. If, if anyone has seen the show American Ninja Warrior, um, this, the, there's, it, it's literally an obstacle course of different tasks that the contestants have to conquer. And one of those, one of those obstacles that they have to go through, and it's usually at the very end, it's this, this tubular contraption. It, it's not round, but it's more square. It's kind of like a, a long hollow tube and what they have to do is the contestants, they have to scale that tube and reach the top. And so it's this, like I said, it's, it's a squarish tower with no stairs, but it's, it's narrow enough so that the contestants can reach it with both their hands and both their feet. And as long as those contestants maintain at least two pressure points, they can ascend the tower. So the, they'll put both their feet on the bottom and reach their hands up, squeeze with their hands or not squeeze, but push outwards with their hands and then move their feet up. And so they more or less slither along up the length of that tower. So um, just so you know, now you know why I never compete on American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I was that? curious. Because I like escalators too much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, going back to snakes, you, you bring up a very valid point, the, the mechanics behind how a snake moves. And so the, we're, we're kind of touching on that, but can you explain the whole slithering process in a little bit more detail? Um, so, okay. So terrestrial snakes, those who spend most of their time on land, um, they use different techniques to move. The one that we're most familiar with is the one that, that you mentioned first, you know, slithering. So, um, I, I'll tell you the national Academy of science, they had a really good article on this where they literally model slithering locomotion, um, as inextensible. So it's, it's one dimensional curves and measured friction coefficients and a lot of really nifty stuff. But long story short, they said snakes do the slithering move by what's called lateral undulation, a reticular progression by unilateral contraction and extension of their belly in a concertina-like motion. And the English translation of that is... <laughs> It's that they use these longer overlapping scales on their belly to propel them forward. And I think I think people can picture it, but it's pretty hard to describe on a podcast. Yeah. 
I mean, so it isn't like worms, you know, everybody seemed like a worm crawling, you know, on the dirt or on the sidewalk after a rain or whatever. Worms use a ratcheting type of propulsion as they, you know, they elongate and then they put down, you know, a piece of their body and then they shorten their whole body. They contract their whole body. So that's a ratcheting movement. Um, so I want to make sure that we're clear about that because that is not what snakes do. Snakes are more like, they're like throwing their body into a series of helices, which are, um, well, if, if Daryl and I were each holding one end of a rope and I was with all of my arm uh, in motion, if I was moving my end of the rope up and down quickly, it creates that vertical wave that goes along the rope. It sort of looks like a sound wave. So it's kind of the same principle here, only the snake is using its head in place of my arm doing that, that jerky locomotion. And it's doing this obviously horizontally why it's on the ground instead of you know, vertically like I would be doing with the rope. So the area on the snake that is on the ground is like a, a push point. So you know where they are on the ground, their belly scales then grip and they can contract those together while simultaneously extending other belly scales to get that forward propulsion, that forward movement. Okay. I, I think I can picture it because I'm, I'm trying to put together everything that you're saying. And I'm trying to put together in my mind and hopefully the, our listeners can also understand. I think everyone knows that the snake body literally consists of these rows and rows of scales in these belly scales. And what is happening, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie, but what is happening is is they're more or less doing a mini wave underneath where where some of their scales will go forward and it just does a wave along the whole entire length of the body and it starts to propel them forward. So literally what you're saying no. is, is snakes slither? <laughs> yeah, the, I am saying that snakes slither. I wouldn't go with that whole wave thing necessarily because I'm, I'm picturing that as like one scale lifts up and the next scale sits down. You know what right. I mean? Um, it's really tough to explain the mechanics of, of a functional slither. Um, I tried. No, well, you did fine. Sometimes the stuff is, is really complex. It seems simple, but um, I know from some of the articles you were talking about before, there's, there's a ton of complex math involved in slithering. True, true. Um, and speaking of math, it's also important to note that friction coefficient that I mentioned. So a friction coefficient is essentially talking about the roughness of the surface. So to, to drastically oversimplify this, um, a smooth sheet of glass would have a very small friction coefficient, whereas a really rough piece of sandpaper or asphalt or something like that has a much, much higher friction coefficient. Um, so if, if the snake is on an absolutely smooth surface, they have a really hard time moving because those belly scales don't have anything to grip or gain purchase with. And that is absolutely critical for these mechanics to work for, you know, for these, these things that we've been talking about for those to function properly. I'm, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here because I've seen videos there. I don't know if I've seen it on TV or where I was, I was picturing this, but sometimes you will see a snake exactly how you describe. You will see a snake that is on a really, really, really smooth surface. Like you said, glass. And the poor little snake is wiggling as fast as his little body will wiggle. And he's literally not going anywhere because he's just slipping yeah. on, on that. So th that's a good description of that, that uh, 
uh, friction coefficient. coefficient. Yes, yeah. And the cool thing, just for the record, it's not just us bio geeks that know about friction coefficients, like police officers and lots of other careers. They need to know that because any time that there is something where it involves traction, whether it's with skin on a road or a snake's belly on a, a piece of glass, then friction coefficients come into it. So, yeah. It, it, again, you hit the nail on the head because I, I know my brother being in police work when they're investigating like a car accident, you see skid marks and, and you, you can tell a lot about what happened by, by knowing how, how far things will slide on other objects. And so that's, that's a really good description you had there. So anyway, that whole explanation of, of what makes a slither work was, it's kind of painful just so you know, for both of us. So I'm almost <laughs> sorry I asked. Now, I know one of your biggest pet peeves, besides the winking boa in Harry Potter, <laughs> is when people say snakes are poisonous. Um, hey, just curious, did, did that book series break that rule too? Yeah, sadly, yes. <laughs> and it's still your favorite. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm, I'm just so glad to see that you can overcome such trials and tribulations. So. Um, <laughs> Anyway, a, a lot of people out there say snakes are poisonous, and one of the reasons it gets on Steph's nerves is because poisons are ingested, whereas venoms are injected. So if toxins are introduced to a body because they were injected by something, then it's a venom. If toxins are introduced because they were eaten or absorbed through the skin or even breathed in, then those are poisons. So now that I've saved you from all the rant that I know Stephanie was going to do, I'm, I'm sure we're going to start talking about snake venom now. Yeah. Where's the fun in life when you get to take my rants away? You're no well, fun. I, I never have rants. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. Lightning is going to strike you. <laughs> so first off, I will say that far too often people assume that every snake they see is venomous and they want to kill it, which is a huge point of pacification for me. Pacification? It's made up. I'm trying to say it pisses me off, but it sounds a bit more eloquent. <laughs> hey, it kind of worked. It, 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 if it keeps your mom off your back, I don't know if she'll catch that or not, but I'm, I'm telling your mom right now, your daughter just said a bad word. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bad word, but anyway, thanks. So anyway, it is very eloquent. Um, so there's around 20 different types of venomous snakes in North America, most of which I might add are different species of rattlesnakes. Um, now globally, there's like 3000 snake species total with only 375 or so being venomous. So, you know, like I said, there's only 20 types of venomous snakes in North America, only 375 out of 3,000 snake possible, you know, choices in the world. So literally, this it's a very small ratio. So you know, in the United States, I will say that there is at least one venomous species of snake in every state except for Alaska. Um, and now that's that's not lumping together, say like all the rattlesnakes into a group. It's looking at, at those types of things independently as well. I feel like I'm babbling here, but anyway. So to put put all of this in scope. Um, there's over 100 snake species in the United States. So again, um, there's like 20 of those, 20 different types of, of venomous snakes in North America. So probably the probability still indicates 
that 80% of the snake species, thereby the vast majority, the snakes that you meet, they are harmless. I'm I'm definitely going to go on a tangent here just to clarify things and make hopefully make people understand a little bit more. You're talking about 20 types of venomous snakes in North America, but so many of those snakes are kind of grouped together because there's like a whole bunch of different species of rattlesnake. Rattlesnake, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's so, why I said I'm not. I wasn't lumping them together. That's like yeah, all of the rattlesnakes it, are listed independently. Yeah. So if if you're if you're talking about groups of snakes, there's there's a much much smaller group of snakes that are venomous, and, and you're looking yeah, at it's like rattlesnakes. What, five. Yeah, you're looking at rattlesnakes. You're looking at cottonmouths. You're looking at copperheads, which are very, very closely related, cottonmouths and copperheads. And then uh, you're looking at um, coral snake. Coral snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so if you know those those groupings, like I said, the rattlesnakes, coral snakes, and the, the copperhead, um, I forget what the family mouth. is. Cottonmouth? Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, the, the, because copperhead and cottonmouth are, are really close. Anyway, it, it narrows it down even further. So saying that there's 20 venomous snakes, that's actually a whole lot more than you have to learn to identify. If, if you know one rattlesnake, you'll know another rattlesnake and you got to yeah. stay away, got to stay away from rattlesnakes. So anyway, um, it's funny because you hinted at this before, but people's, people's minds always jump to like the worst possible option. Like it, if they see a little corn snake, <laughs> they're going to swear it's a rattlesnake. Actually. Okay. So let can I, I'm, I'm going to tell a story. So first off, normally people mistake, um, corn snakes for copperheads. Sometimes they will mistake them for a rattlesnake though, because corn snakes and many other little species of snakes have also dis- discovered that if they like wiggle the very end of their tail, super duper fast, there's a, sl- there's a pretty good chance that their tail is going to make a rattling type of noise with leaf litter or other detritus that's on the ground behind them because they know that that keeps things away. So they're, they, they, do from time to time they do get mistaken as a rattlesnake but all the time corn snakes um and, and king snakes and a few species are getting oh my gosh it's a copperhead and it's it, like i get the picture and no and my brother actually i had to drive like 45 miles one way once because my brother swore up and down that he had an aggressive copperhead that he had it was in a box in his basement and he's like i'm gonna kill it if you don't come get it Sorry for the terrible imitation of you, dear brother, if you listen. (laughs) Um, So I got in the car and I drove over and it's this like six inch long, baby, beautiful uh, wild variation corn snake. And he's got this like rubber, like a medical glove blown up and tied to the end of a stick. So that there's like this giant Mickey mouse hand, essentially that he's poking down and he's like, look at how mean it is. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? (laughs) You're, you're lobbing the guy with this big uh, hand. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. But now that I think of it, I'm not so sure that like a corn snake and rattlesnake are the most frequently misidentified. If I were to hazard a guess, I think more people call water snakes like banded water snakes. They call them water moccasins or or yeah, or eastern. Yeah, the the oh. eastern and northern water snake calling them. Oh, there's water moccasins here, and it's like, no, sorry, man, that's northern. Yes, northern I, water I snake. think that's probably the the probably most misidentified snake as as far as being a, a venomous snake. So yeah. Anyway, so I I will say that you know it's the whole thing where you were talking about you know people always their their minds jump to the absolute worst possibility. 
it's like if they they hear a noise outside when they're camping it's it's obviously it's a bear you know or a bigfoot or something that's about to kill them you know it's it's never ever ever the thing that it most likely is which is a possum or a skunk or um, a mouse you know going through something it's always that their mind jumps to that that the big bad the scary thing um, but the other rub when it comes to snakes is people who can't tell the difference between a copperhead and a corn snake they think that they're instant experts when you know it's a, it's actually just a fear of the unknown that's causing all of their concern because they swear if I could told you how many people swear up and down that every snake they've ever killed is a copperhead, we would be like swimming in copperheads. There's that many of them. Um, It'd be the only snake in existence actually. So remember all the discussions that we had regarding cougars and how, you know, humans evolved to be hyper aware of big, scary creatures. This is, you know, this is also what they're presuming to be a little scary creature. You know, they, they think that obviously every snake they see is, just going to be completely able to kill them. So harmless snakes in their mind suddenly become poisonous snakes. And I'm <laughs> saying poisonous. No, I'm saying poisonous on purpose okay. because I just said these people can't tell the difference between a corn snake and a copperhead. And they're the same ones that are going to tell me, I know it was poisonous. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm kind of lumping that all together. But so now again, I am not saying it's unheard of for folks to see a venomous snake. I am just saying, because it's, it's really not the, if you go out in the wild, eventually, yeah, you're going to see a venomous snake or two. I'm just saying that the hysteria is very unwarranted. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. There's, there's so many misidentifications and it's always heavily slanted towards those, those venomous snakes, which, which obviously there's, there is some rationale for being afraid of a venomous snake because guess what? They carry venom. So let's let's talk a little bit about venom. Venom. So which snakes? And, and we'll stick with North America. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Which snakes had the biggest bang for their buck? Uh, well, as a quick reminder, around eighty percent of the snakes in the United States have zero venom. But now that my public service announcement is out of the way, um, there's generally three different types of snake venom. So you've got hematoxic neurotoxic and cytotoxic and you know so these different venoms they they're essentially just really highly modified saliva they have different effects you know hematoxins affect like cardiovascular systems cytotoxins target specific cellular sites and then neurotoxins affect the nervous system so i should say here that hematoxins and neurotoxins are probably the what I would say are the big ones. Cytotoxins, which just eat away at the cells in a target area or the, you know, the bitten area, that, that causes cells to deteriorate. So cytotoxins, you know, they're deadly to cells, which can then be an issue, especially with bacteria and disease and stuff. But it's nothing you know, to joke about having this kind of stuff injected in you because it's, it's, it's in your body. Keep in mind things in the body like to, you know, travel. Our body likes to keep fluids inside and it moves them along. So yeah. that cytotoxin doesn't necessarily just mean the injection site it, it could travel. Um, but I also want to say the reason why I'm not really counting cytotoxins is because nearly every venomous snake is also packing cytotoxins. Okay. So if I'm following correctly and tell me if I'm not, 
what you're what you're saying here is there's there's three types of venoms, but venomous snakes don't usually just have one type because most of those venomous snakes usually have cytotoxins plus another type. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I, I can chime in here because I know the snakes in the family Viperidae produce hematoxins. And hematoxins, like Steph said, destroy red blood cells, which means blood clotting goes wonky. And it also causes organ degeneration. And if you don't mind me bringing up another tangent, so to speak, I, as I'm thinking about these hematoxins, have, have you ever seen a demonstration, whether or not it's a video or something on TV, where they take... I, wait, wait. I would like to take this moment in time to say why, yes, I actually have. You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. Well, you said, have I seen a show or a video? Okay. I, I always have All to right. say no, so I'm just getting okay. that out of the way. <laughs> well, okay. Well, this specific one that I'm thinking of, have you ever seen a demonstration where they take some type of snake venom? I don't know if it's rattlesnake or other kind of viper. And they'll just get a drop of that venom and they'll drop it into like a little vial of human blood. Well, I don't even know if it's human blood, but it's blood from a mammal. And the moment that drop of venom hits that blood, the blood just turns crazy. <laughs> Can you speak I, to that? Have you ever seen anything like that? Okay. I would just like the record to reflect that even though I was being kind of a sarcastic jerk a minute ago, I actually have seen that. Oh, good. I know. So yeah, I actually, um, and it's not like quite as dramatic as what you said, but yeah. What do you want me to talk about? You want me to just <laughs> kind of go through? Okay. Well, okay, so, so, the... well it, I guess where I'm going at. So it's not like the venom um, causes someone to bleed to death. It, it does really weird stuff to blood, whether or not, because I know some of the videos I've seen, it looks like the blood literally starts turning to jello. Yeah. So it's like it's breaking down um, the, the red blood cells that are in the blood. So what ends up happening is it ends up separating. So parts of it become, uh, well, just to use your term, I'll just say jello-y. Um, but you'll see, like generally, especially if you're using like a, a, a glass glass or something, you know, where, the, where it's got the cohesive properties with water, it kind of climbs up a little. It's why. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the the ring around the side of the glass looks like uh i'm aging myself here but i'm gonna say iodine it looks like kind of a rusty colored water like a because it's literally one drop in that that little cup of of blood ended up affecting it so much that it makes part of it clumpy clotty kind of look and then the reason why it got clumpy and clotty is because it's destroying and denaturing those red blood cells so the the remnants of those ended up kind of floating to the top. So it's it's literally just rooting all functionality of blood. <laughs> hence, yeah, it, I mean, it's a hemotoxin. <laughs> yeah. And like I said a second ago, when I was talking about the cytotoxins and, you know, while I, I said that it affects the target site, which is generally the injection site, your body has fluids in it. It likes to keep fluids moving. Suddenly, you know, it's moved this this toxin through your the, the through a body and suddenly then this wonky stuff starts happening with the blood, which makes it kind of hard for this stuff to go anywhere. And it's also starts affecting your organs as soon as it hits those. So yeah. Okay. And that's just like okay. the one drop of. Sorry for the tangent. I, I just, I was just thinking of some of those, those videos that people see with snake venom and blood and just thought we should address it. Yep. 
you know, and neurotoxins, on the other hand, they work on the nervous system uh, and even on the brain. So with neurotoxins, there's a lot of like limb paralysis and or weakness or numbness, you know, there's vision loss, there's cognitive functions crashing. So long story short, you know, paralysis and respiratory failure are generally the culprits um, for a cause of death when it comes to neurotoxins. So in the United States, the coral snake is probably the easiest example, though he's not really a good culprit for any kind of an actual bite. Um, and I know you mentioned the, the Viperidae produce hematoxins, and for sure the majority do. But I think that we need to probably, um, just in this field, we need to do more research because I was reading a paper on neurotoxic snakes in America and, you know, a few rattlesnakes were actually considered primarily neurotoxic, like a few of the southeastern timber rattler snakes and a Mojave rattlesnake. But interestingly, um, this paper also asserted that snake venom composition varies greatly, even within the same geographic region with different levels of like mitotoxins, cardiotoxins, hematoxins, neurotoxins, and, you know, of course, the protolytic enzymes, which... Uh, you can just kind of, kind of think of those as digestion juices. So long story short, this paper pretty much says we should never try to precisely classify any venomous snake as being like, these are always hematoxic and these are always neurotoxic because there can actually be variations. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I, I could see where that makes sense. But I think the moral of this discussion um, is that, yeah, some snakes are venomous and we don't want to mess around with those snakes. But I hope folks understand that the vast majority of snakes that are out there are not venomous. And even the venomous ones, they, they serve a purpose. They, they should be left alone to go about their business. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. And Daryl, I want to kind of have a, a smidge of a sidebar. This is a discussion kind of, I, I don't go know. Ahead. This is going to... Yeah, I don't, I do, I don't know. So I'm looking for you to educate me. Um, and I, I actually am surprised I don't know this. I have, <laughs> That's you funny. know, you, you, <laughs> people, people complain that they, they, I'm going to do the horrible. I, I just feel terrible when I do a Southern voice and pretend that's idiots. Cause I don't mean that. I mean, I am Southern. So people say, well, I had to kill that copperhead because it was in my yard and I don't want a venomous snake in my yard. Um, and that's me assuming that they actually know what they're talking about. And it's a real copperhead. They don't stick around. You know, they, they, they might have an area that they hang out in, but they, they wander too. So if you saw that, that snake today, you may or may not see it again in, you know, ever because it's going to go do its thing. And because they are, you know, often prey species as well. So I just, I get really frustrated at people because I feel like saying, yeah, you, you killed a copperhead because it was next to your garage and your, your shrubs or whatever, but he's probably not going to stay there for long, you know, a few days a week, you know, realize that maybe unless he has a really good food source there, then he might hang out longer, but can otherwise I, they're go. Yes, please. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I can add to this because I belong to a number of snake forums on Facebook and they're always, they're always talking about this issue where, Nobody's going to get on anyone's case if they if they want a venomous snake removed from their yard. It, I, obviously, you, it's illegal to kill snakes in many many states. Not all snake, not all states, but um, 
one of the easiest things to do if you do have a copperhead or another snake that you even if it's a regular snake harmless snake that you just don't want a snake in your yard just get a water hose and, and spray it and the, the thing's gonna politely go on its way and it's it's not wanna not gonna want to come back if you're constantly spraying with the hose Having said yeah. all that, um, there's lots of people out there. In fact, there was a discussion, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, where, where people were just, I shouldn't say people, uh, someone was railing on the fact that why do you even let uh, cottonmouths or rattlesnakes live? They're, they're, they're poisonous and they can kill humans, so why don't we just kill them all? And I was, I must say, Steph, I was actually quite pleased because the vast, vast majority of people were trying to tell this other person, which I, I, I know he's not the only one that thinks like that, but they're, they were trying to explain how snakes have a place in this world. doesn't matter if they're venomous or not venomous. They serve in our ecosystem. So lots of people get it. There are still some people that don't get it. And so we just have to do our best to try to educate them. Yeah. I could not have said that any better myself. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you probably could have used bigger words than I did, though. <laughs> just mm. kidding. All right, here's the problem, Steph. Um, there's absolutely amazing things to talk about when it comes to snakes. I, I mean, we we literally only hit the high level on on motion and toxicity and just talked specifically about things related to venomous species, and we're, we're already like 40 minutes in, <laughs> and we didn't even get to talk about any of the other cool morphological adaptations. Agreed. Um... Oh, that sounded so pretty there at the end. I like the way you said that. Maybe next week, you know, I tell you what, next week um, we can talk about, you know, like what, what those flicking tongues do and thermal sensors and, you know, maybe even touch a bit on aquatic species. Okay. No, that sounds like a plan. And so I think we should start wrapping this episode up. It, it was a great introduction. I don't want to scare people because all we talked about today was the slithering and the, and the poisons, but um Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> why is slithering a thing? Like, I don't get that. Like, why is slithering? Because people freak out over slithering. If if anyone has ever touched a snake, it, it is this, like, really dry, impressive muscle that is just, it, it, it freaks people out. <laughs> they are super, su they know, because they, they are heavy. You know, they're not, they're, like you said, they're, I mean, they're super dry. Even if you get them out of water, they're actually pretty dry pretty quick because they don't have anything to stay wet. But they are very, they're very dense muscle. They're really amazing. Yes. Yeah, I, so, I think that's cool. And I think that's kind of what freaks people out. And the whole point of our podcast is to make people love wildlife. So we promise we're, we're going to continue this discussion on snakes next week, but it won't be uh, the stuff that freaks people out. It, hopefully it'll say, oh, wow, that's that's super cool. I didn't know any of that. So we're, we're You're going to have to call me later and explain to me in quite some detail why slithering is bad because I'm still not getting this, but I'll let it go. I, I'll let one of, one of our listeners tell Stephanie why slithering freaks you out. So, okay. I, on that note, since we do have some listeners, are, are there, <laughs> I hope we still have some listeners after <laughs> this episode, but is there any shout outs you want to do, Steph? Uh, you know, I hate it when you put me on the, no, I haven't looked at like the book of faces or anything. I have, I have like, I have not spoken to humans this week other than people at work. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do a shout out. I, I was going to go on a bear tangent because I, <laughs> I mentioned. No, well. so, no. Okay. I won't mention anything about that. I'll save it till next week as hard as that is for me. So, 
anyway, right. I'll, I'll turn it over to you to start wrapping this up. Sure. So as always, thank you for joining us here and for being patient as we get this whole podcast technology thing sort of nailed down. We do appreciate your continued support, both with with our podcast and with like our Facebook presence. You know, we we really do our best to bring you good information about wildlife and wildlife conservation, because it's always important to remember that with wildlife, your knowledge often means their existence. Good night, folks. Harry Potter? Really? Do you have a problem with Harry Potter? Oh, what are you going to cast a spell at me? Do you want me to? <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> I didn't think so.